Jordan, six for nine at Cockermouth. That's Ben Stokes' old club, isn't it? Cockermouth Cricket Club. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. Hope everyone is safe and well. Welcome to the latest edition of the Wimbledon, the Upminster Cricket Club podcast. Joining me this evening is the Beast, John Curtis, and also for the first time as host, uh, club legend, Mr. Rob Mack. Chaps, good to have you both on tonight. Uh, feels remarkable that we're heading into the final week of the season already. Feels a little bit strange after just eight or nine weeks, but should be an exciting few days ahead. How are you both looking forward to your games on Saturday and uh, how things might turn out? Based? Yeah, good, mate. Yeah, I've been good. Uh, we had a good game last week as well. Played Springfield, probably our closest game of the season. Uh, they weren't a bad weren't a bad outfit, actually, so it was quite a decent game. Uh, yeah, we've got a title. It's like, unbelievably, having been unbeaten, but because of the rain-offs, we're... Uh, we're top, but he's still all up for grabs. Us v Chelmsford is a, basically a title decider. I think we need six points yeah. um, to get it done. But I, I think they're quite a decent outfit, so it sh- should be another good game. Thank you, Bob. Yeah, same. We've had a, had a great season. I've, I've had the pleasure of playing with you most of the year, Middle. Um, yeah, and again, I think we've left it a little bit too late to... Uh, to pull it off, but it's still out there. There's, there's three points between four teams. Um, we're away, fun enough, uh, at Chelmsford, who are, who are second. So, um, yeah, it's going to be good. Be a good day out. One's on the main pitch, us on the, on, the, on the second pitch. So, yeah, looking forward to it. It's been a great season. Really enjoyable. Just also add at that stage, just anyone free on Sunday morning, our under-9s are through playing Ilford in the final of the uh, Doncoach Trophy over at the park. Uh, so it's a big game for those lads. First final they would have played in. Half ten start at the club. It'd be great if people were around in the morning. If they're popping out for a walk, pop past, give the lads some support. Andrew and Tone will be behind the bar, baking rolls from uh, from 10am. So it'd be good if, uh, if a few people are around, come and uh, lend your support for the morning. Yeah, definitely. Now tonight, we're joined by a very special guest. Lots of people in cricketing circles who, who we all know, maybe... Uh, Claim to know someone who played a bit of county cricket, a few first-class games here and there, could have made it, played second-team county cricket, that sort of thing. This gentleman played on the county circuit for a remarkable 20 seasons. During that time, he played over 250 first-class games, as well as 177 list day, one-day games, and 24 T20s. Uh, He received his county cap with three different counties, as well as being awarded a benefit year by his final county in 2013 and skippering them to promotion from Division 2 of the Championship in that very same year. He's also the youngest Essex player to make a first-class century, aged just 17, and was man of the match in the Under-19 World Cup final in 1998, as his 100 took England to a famous victory. Known on the circuit for two decades as Pedro or Giza, uh, a very big welcome to uh, a good friend of the club, Mr Stephen Peters. Evening, oh, evening, gents. Good to uh, good to join you. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Evening, Gaza. How have you been, mate? And how's lockdown been for you and the family? What what have you been up to over the last six or seven months? Keeping yourself busy. 
Yeah, yeah, it's been an uh, interesting time, hasn't it, for, for most of us. I think uh, we were just discussing earlier, weren't we, about working. I'm used to working at home, but not five days a week. So uh, I'm going a bit stir-crazy um, uh, looking at the same four walls. So I'm, I'm keen to get back out and about. But generally, um, generally not been too bad. We kind of kept ourselves to ourselves. We had a, we had a couple of... Uh, uh, challenging family uh, things going on, um, which which didn't help during the lockdown. But generally, we're all good. Thanks. Good stuff. And you've been doing your own version of the Tour de France or the Giro d'Italia over the last few weeks. I see. <laughs> yeah, I, I try. I try and uh, compete on the on the big coals. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, since I since I finished playing, cycling's become a real big thing for me. Road biking and. Um, it's been a, it, I mean, physically, it's kept me kind of in half decent nick. And, and, and mentally, it's been really good for me as well. You know, when you go from pretty much training every day to kind of, I didn't do anything for about a year after I finished playing. And then um, I started uh, feeling a bit lethargic and got into cycling. And I've had the bug ever since. So I tend to do a trip either down to the South France or Italy, as it was this year. And try and follow in the footsteps, albeit uh, a lot, lot slower than some of those boys on the telly. It's great fun. I, I really enjoy it. Good stuff. I've just going to, I've got a question for you, Pedro. I was going to touch on the stats a little bit more first. Middle mentioned yep. a few of them, but they're pretty impressive. The first class stuff, as Middle said, 260 matches, 440 innings, 32 not outs, 14,331 runs. High score of 222, uh, an average of 34.87, which is pretty healthy for an opener, I would say. 71 50s, 31 100s, and four seasons of scoring over a 1,000 first-class runs. And something else I was quite surprised to stumble across, one wicket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe we'll come on to later. But anyway, um, Obviously, coming from a cricketing family, we all we all know your dad, Brian. I think most of us played with him when we were younger. Um, we just wondered how you first got into the game and what your early memories were of Upminster Cricket Club in the 80s. Yeah, I, I, I mean, literally, my, my cricket life, really, is all down to my, my dad and my mum and dad, really, uh, and their involvement over the club. You know, dad was, dad was a good all-round sportsman, loads of sports, but... Clearly, Saturdays and Sundays was very much uh, cricket time, <clears throat> and and spending the day over the cricket club with my dad. And um, I I have very strong and vivid memories of um, kind of picking up a bat for the first time over the club on a, on a Saturday sunny Saturday afternoon, and people guys like Jit Singh and people like that blast from the past. You know, used to bowl at me on the side of the clubhouse. Uh, before it got extended, uh, that's how long ago it was, um, for hours and hours. And um, yeah, very fond memories. And I think my mum used to uh, do some scoring or the teas and all those kind of things. So it was very much a, a family day out, really, uh, that got me into cricket. I mean, I never played any cricket at school at all. So it was all down to, um, you know, like Mr. Cricket Club and starting there uh, at a pretty young age, really. Surprised to hear that you didn't play any school, what, no senior school cricket or anything? Or, or we, no, I'm surprised no, to hear that. I, I didn't play any cricket at school at all. When I, when I, I mean, I finished at Cooper's, what, 
95, 96, something like that. And um, I, I don't even think that it was just pure rugby and athletics, really, in those days. And, um, and I think they just started to, or they, oh, I can't remember, the pavilion was, the plans for the pavilion of being built were in place or something. But yeah, it was all club cricket for me that got me into it. Um, so, you know, I'm very, very thankful for that, really. Um, and my dad, you know, his love for the game meant that I, I got into it. Yeah, you, uh, I, I remember those days a bit as well. I would have been... You know, sort of in the 80s, in my, in my teenage years, I suppose. And uh, and I, I seem to remember as well, the, the club in the 80s and then going into the 90s, went into the, the doldrums a bit, really. Um, and, and, and I, whenever we go over to Gidea Park, there's always pictures up of you in their Colts team. Um, and I suppose to get the cricket, um, you know, you had to go to Gidea. I don't think Upminster had a particularly um, strong and structured Colts section at the time. Yeah, that's right. You, you, you're dead right, mate. It's um, at the time. I think. Look, I think all clubs go through a cyclical kind of thing, don't they? Where they're yeah. they're really strong. And Upminster's had a fabulous few years, you know, socially and all that kind of stuff. And actually, when I first started playing professionally socially, it was absolutely <laughs> fantastic. I, I probably, as we know, I enjoyed it too much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Again, vivid memories of swinging my shirt round my head on, t- on a table one night. Five night before the game. game. <laughs> <laughs> I'll televise one of that, I believe. <laughs> yeah, don't think I'll make many the next day, but, um, <laughs> but, but it was a good night. And um, yeah, it was almost similar on the cricket front as well. So Upminster, up I think, had like a strong senior kind of set up at that time or some, or some good senior cricketers there. But the youth system was nowhere near what it's been over the last however many years. You know, it, it, there was none of this Friday night, hundreds of kids turning up, um, you know. And and the opposite could be said for Gidea Park. At that time, they had probably the strongest kind of youth cult set up, I would imagine, in the county, really. And so I, I kind of really, I made the move for the right reasons to go and play my kind of cricket there. Um which was absolutely the right thing to do, but um, you know, it was it was uh, kind of with a heavy heart, really. But but I mean, I remember, well, kind of under 13s through to under 16s, 17s, mobile match players. It was then. I, I don't know what it's called now, but um, you know, we dominated at Gidea Park through that era and had loads of really good players. Um, you know, Barry Heim, Andy Hibbert, Phil Ayres. Um, for a number of number of guys who went on to have either really really good first team careers or county kind of careers, so um, so it was a strong setup, and and I I think I benefited from it definitely. Who, who were the coaches and managers in that, Steve? We had, we had a Gideon Park based podcast the other week, funnily enough, with uh, with a couple of lads who'd been there, and they they named some people who looked after the sides when you were uh, in those those sort of under-13 to under-17 era? Yeah, ma- mainly Steve Foster, really. Wally Foster. Um, he was probably the, the, the main guy for me. He ran the under-13 sides. Um, you know, Terriers cricket, as it was then. And and um, I'm trying to think. Les Collard did, did some coaching yeah. and Derek Churchill and these kind of guys. Um, but, but primarily, Wally Foster, really. And he and then- was... He was a he was a a real positive influence. He wanted to win desperately, 
Um, but he was a really good, um, positive guy to have around, as you guys know from, you know, the, knowing Wally over the next 20, 30 years and, and Vets Football Bob and things like that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Just a great guy to be around. So it was a good environment. Uh, he's I, a smash, smashing yeah. fella. I, 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 we played Gideon a few weeks ago and he was over watching and uh, I've only really ever met him from a little bit of Vets football and just seen him in about the cricket season. But he's, he's always such a cheerful character. Seems like, yeah. seems like a good guy. Yeah, absolutely. And we, you know, that combination of Wally and some really talented young cricketers, we, we really did dominate for quite a few years. And uh, yeah, it was good times. And then I used, I kind of, en I ended up playing like Saturday afternoon men's cricket, Sunday morning cricket, Sunday afternoon cricket, you know, like like probably lots of us did. And um, it, it was good times, remember it well. And that, and Gideon Park at the time had a really good social scene. And I know typically yeah, yeah, that's dropped off, hasn't it? Um, mm. So it does happen to clubs and hopefully they'll come back, come back a bit stronger on that front. And you mentioned there playing a lot of cricket, like <laughs> whole weekends, uh, like, like you say, Saturdays and Sundays as you became sort of into your teams, presumably that was when you started becoming on the radar of Essex and, and the Essex schools, sort of Essex Academy sides as it was then, and, and also playing senior cricket on a Saturday afternoon. And I'm guessing they were very different environments, playing with blokes, 30, 40-year-old blokes in the changing room with you on a, on a Saturday afternoon, as opposed to all kids of your own age with the county setups on a Sunday and that. Certainly makes you grow up a bit quicker, I think. Um, <laughs> you know, you've got to be able to take a bit of stick and a bit of banter. I know, you know, we all, we all tiptoe, tiptoe around that subject these days, you know, what's banter and what's oversteps the mark. But, you know, back in the day, I, I loved it and I thrived on, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, it, it was good. And again, Gideon Park had a really strong senior setup at that time as well and playing with, Guys like Russ Collard, Andy Churchill, Greg Churchill, again, Phil Ayres, Barry Iron, all these, Craig Miller. Um, you know, you couldn't help but get better as well. Um, and then, yeah, you're right. The kind of around that time, um, I started getting into the, you know, the kind of, I'd been involved in the young Essex stuff from kind of about 10 or 11 years old. Uh, Bob Richards was my first coach. I don't know if any of you remember Bob. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to know whether Bob's still with us. He was a diamond. I hope he is. Um, and Terry Charrington was another guy who was a great batting coach. Um, and, He's still and Terry, coaching now, I think, Terry. He really, yeah. He was Rittle and places, I still see people talk about him. Yeah. Chelmsford, he's Chelmsford Creek Club, I think, wasn't he, Terry, back in... Hutton, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, is he? There's a few of them over at Hutton still yeah. who, who were involved yeah. with the coaching and that back in the day, I think. And you mentioned, yeah. you mentioned Millsy then. Craig Miller was playing against us a couple of weeks ago for Hutton Threes. Was he really? Yeah. yeah. yeah right. Won him the game. The and he won him the game, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was a, he, he was a talent, uh, Millsy, but he, he, he also had a talent for smoking and drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so, he, uh, so although he could bowl quick, he, he couldn't bowl quick for that long. <laughs> he was knackered. But um, he, he was a good cricketer and... Um, yeah, so that was really good times. And then I, I got involved in the Young Essex setup, and people like, um, I suppose, like um, uh, Jim Bowden was my, my, my Essex under 15 coach, I think. And then guys like Alan Lilly did the 16s and 19s, I think. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I just worked my way through the age groups, really. I, I found myself playing quite often a year above my age group. Um, and I think that helps you get better as well. So um, yeah, got ma massively fond memories of all that kind of time. Uh, you know, look back at it and think about it a lot. Good times. So moving on to your start of your, your county career, 1996, debut for Essex against Cambridge Uni. You make, yeah. a, you make 100, pretty decent start. Memories of that day and first season as a county pro? Um, yeah, I, I remember it being cold at Fenner. <laughs> we always used to play at Fenner's pre-season. It was always bloody freezing um, for a jumper job. But um, I don't remember a great deal about the match itself. But, but you know, I just remember being quite nervous about playing. But I kind of, um, you know, back, I, I hate to say it, and it probably going to sound a bit kind of self-indulgent, but, you know, the, the, the university cricket was stronger then than it is now. So yeah. at that time, it was, it, it was still perceived as a good effort to get 100, you know, at, particularly at, at 17, um, to do that. Now, I don't know, it probably wouldn't have quite the same uh, weight behind it. And, um, and to be honest... I came back down to earth with a bump the week later or two weeks later because we, I think it was a couple of weeks later, we played Pakistan in a tourist game and um, uh, they had Mohammed Akram and Wakar Yunus bowling. Wakar Yunus was pushing off the Hayes close boundary boards and, and I went out to bat as they were carrying John Lewis off on a stretch because he just hit him on the head. Um, Oh, I was absolutely shitting myself. Um, and, uh, yeah, back down to earth with a bump after that Cambridge game. But, yeah, it was a nice start. Don't get me wrong. You, crikey. You, what, you know, as you always say in all sports, you can only beat what's put in front of you. And I was 17. And at that time, it was a good standard of cricket. And I, and I played really well. So, so it was a nice little start for me. I don't know if I'm still the youngest. I, don't, I thought someone must have done it by now. Unless someone's not changed your wiki page, then because uh, it's still sitting oh, yeah. on there. <laughs> I've asked them to keep it. I can't, I can't think of anyone it can be in recent times. No. No. I think some of the university games have lost, not Cambridge and Oxford, but some of them have lost their first-class status as well. Yeah. So yeah. I think Cambridge and Oxford is still first-class, but not all of the counties because, as you say, the the standard has probably fallen away from what they hoped it would be five, ten years ago. I'll tell you what yeah. I to mention, and I should mention him because he played a big part for me, um, was, you know, because I played a good couple of seasons of Essex second eleven cricket, and Alan Butcher was the coach at the time. And Butch really pushed me um, because at the time I made my uh, debut for Essex, um, uh, there was four of us averaging 50 in the twos. And, uh, but yeah, I was the one that got the nod. And I'm pretty sure that was because Butch was, was pushing my case. And again, we had some really good play. I mean, Andy Hibbert's second 11 record was unbelievable. Um, Gul Khan, a guy from Blast from the Past, Gul Khan, you know, fabulous, talented player. So, I, you know, I felt quite lucky at the time. Um, to get the nod, but, um, you know, glad I did, obviously. 
How did the rest of that the season go, Steve? Because obviously that's an amazing start. But do you think it was you can maybe get a bit complacent after that? Think it's an easy game? Did you remember anything else from that season? Do you know, Beast? I can't remember much about the rest of that season. I made my championship debut at Somerset, which I, I remember because of that. Yeah, I missed my sister's first wedding, so no big deal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope she doesn't listen to this. Don't tell her. Bob, Bob, I know you live three doors away. Don't say anything. <laughs> uh, I told her at the time it'd never last, so there's no point in turning up. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I don't remember a great deal apart from my championship debut. So I went down to Somerset. I roomed with Mark Ilock. Oh, um, <laughs> great character. And this is, this is a true story, actually. So um, we won the toss back at first. And um, I was very lucky because my first half a dozen games were like Gucci's last half a dozen games. So quite a special time in that environment um, to, to watch him play, play with him. And then obviously be involved when he kind of hung his hung his boots up as well. It was quite a special time. Um, and um, the night before the game, uh, Paul Pritchard was captain and he took me out and got me hammered on Jack Daniels. <laughs> no. And uh, I, I was rooming with Mark Eilot and I fell, I literally fell through the bedroom door, woke him up. He was not impressed. He sat up, he went, where the bloody hell have you been? And I said, I've been out with Pritch. And he went, Oh, it's all right then. And just <laughs> <laughs> the next day, I was batting six, and at the close of play, I think we were four hundred for three. And Gucci was two hundred not out, and and I'd not had to do a thing all day, so it was brilliant. Um, the the next day, however, they they had a guy called Andre Van Troost, who was a Dutch guy who could bowl oh nasty quick and and. Bless him, uh, had a habit of slipping in the odd beamer. Um, so, so there was a bit of fear factor about him in those days. And I walked out to bat and he was bowling one end and a guy called Graham Rose was bowling dobbly away swingers at the other end. And, and Gucci walked up to me and he went, you're right, you're right, you're ready, ready to go? I said, yeah, good, good. He said, um, he said Rose is just swinging him away a little bit. He said, but... Van Troost bowling pretty quick the other end. And I thought, shit, you're one of the world's best players. You're on 200 not out and you're telling me someone's bowling quite quick. <laughs> um, I think I've got four. That was about it. But that's my only <laughs> season, really. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't too long. Two years after making your debut, you, uh, you went to the uh, World Cup in South Africa. I remember, yeah. I remember the night before you left, um, we went out and had a beer and my red golf got nicked when I got home. I thought I couldn't have had that much to drink. I got home and it's gone off the drive. And, uh, do you remember that? Yeah, I do, yeah. Oh, dear, oh, dear. So, so you used to that. Oh, I used to love that car. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I remember that. Great night. Obviously, you, you flew out the following morning, went down, and, and, and you were pretty consistent throughout that World Cup. Um, yeah. and, and what a side it was. Um, mm. there, were, there were some names in that. I'm sure um, you could reel them off. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, terrific side. And, and got to the final where you, you obviously scored the match-winning um, yeah. match performance. 
it was a great it was a great time mate it was um cracking it's over 20 years ago now which is horribly depressing for for all of us yeah. uh, but um but it was a great time that the the irony of that trip a little bit was um we were there for three months and we played a kind of seven or eight weeks of cricket before the World Cup started against South Africa. So some test match, under-19 tests and under-19 one-dayers. And we'd had a really good tour. But the tour had basically been a piss-up because, <laughs> um, because South Africa was so cheap at the time. You know, like a, a can of Castle Lager was like 80p a pop and, and the lads were loving it. It was brilliant. And... Um, there was actually a couple of times during that trip, uh, Phil Neal was the manager and John Abrahams was the coach. Oh, and there was actually a couple of big bust-ups during the first bit of that trip about the lads going out and, and, and drinking too much and all that kind of stuff. But we were just having a whale of the time and we had a good enough side almost to kind of get away with it, really. So we played some really good cricket. And then we didn't start the World Cup very well in the group stages. Can't remember... I think I batted in the middle order in the first couple of games or something. And then, um, and then once we got kind of into the final stages, everything just clicked for us. And we, we dominated, really. We beat Australia in Cape Town in a bizarre game that was all around the run rate. We beat Pakistan at Centurion Park. Um, and I got 90-odd in that. I got 50-odd again at Australia. And then, you know, the final was... At the, at the ball ring in, in Joburg, which is an incredible cricket ground. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember New Zealand had some good... I mean, they had Marshall Brothers, they had Carl Mills. Um, I'm trying to think who else they had. They had probably seven or eight guys who have gone on to have good, uh, you know, first-class careers and a couple who have gone on to play for New Zealand and things. So... You know, they were a good side, but um, we, we, we had a strong, strong side and some good characters as well. So, you know, guys like Keezy and Swanee, Paul Franks, um, you know, don't take a backward step. And therefore, there was no kind of nervousness around playing in some of those big games because those guys were just full of themselves, you know, back to their ability. And, um, and, and we played some really good cricket. So... You know, as it turned out in the end, we kind of, it, it was still a boozy trip right through to the end of the uh, World Cup, actually. But um, it was a great time, you know. Like, um, I, I think over the years, it gets brought up so much that for a while I got a bit embarrassed about it. Just, I, I don't know, because it was so long ago, I used to think, oh, well, you know, let's, let's talk about something else. But actually, you know, now I've finished playing altogether. It, it was a great time, a proud time, and um, thoroughly enjoyed it. I didn't really... I, I remember that night getting absolutely spannered after about four beers. I, I'd, I'd crump, cramp in my thumb that <laughs> night, and it got, it got stuck at 45-degree angle for about three hours because I was so dehydrated. But it was brilliant. And, and a few Essex lads in that side as well, Steve, or in yeah. the squad anyway. There was five of us, and and um, bless uh, Doug Insole, who I think was I don't know Essex president at the time. Yeah. He flew over specially just for the final to kind of um, wish us luck, 
you know, kind of as a representative from Essex, which at the time, you know, was a lovely thing for them to do. And um, yeah, there was myself, Johnny Powell, uh, Jamie Grove, uh, Graham Napier and, and Ian Flanagan. And um, yeah, we, we had some, some good talented players. It's interesting because the, without waffling too much, but that, that World Cup then leads on to quite a turbulent period in my career. And it all started off the back of that World Cup, really. So, I probably I probably drunk too many Castle Margers. But who, who would have stand out, Steve? If you had put one or two, you thought he's definitely making it. Who would you have? Who would you have said at that time? Well, Swanee was one. He just had a unerring belief uh, and and you know real talent. Um, uh, I probably would have said someone like Paul Franks at the time would have. Would have would have had a better international kind of longer career. Yeah. Um, Oa Shah was clearly a top player, uh, and was was definitely going to have a really good first class career. Um, you know that was obvious. Uh, where it was going to go after that, I don't know. But and and there was a Keezy was an interesting one because he. I don't know, there was just, again, he was another one where you just knew he was going to have a great first-class career. But, but would, it, would it go on into an international career? Um, there was loads of guys like that, really. We were, all, yeah. we were all of a similar ability, I felt, at that time. Um, and, and it was kind of, OK, well, who's going to push on and who's not kind of thing, really. You, you mentioned that stage of your career, Steve, and, and after that, you came back and became a, a, a regular for the most part over the next two or three years at Essex. And yeah. it, it was a mixed period for you personally. And, and I think it'd be fair to say a mixed period for the county, probably, as you, as you mentioned earlier, Gucci had just come to the end of his career and a couple of other guys like Such and Childs were probably uh, coming to the end of their career and it was a bit of a rebuilding phase. But there were some good times, the B&H final promotion which I think you yeah. played a big part in from Division 2. Who, who, who in the side, obviously there were some big names and some good players, even though it, it was a, a bit of a strange period. Mm. It, was a, it, it, was, um, it was a really good and bad time for me. So the reason I mentioned that kind of that turbulent period for me, so the first mistake I made was not flying back to the UK with the side after we won the World Cup. I think I got a bit blacklisted for that. I flew down to uh, Australia and travelled up the East Coast on the booze for about a month um, and had a wonderful time and, and wouldn't have changed it for the world. But I think it, it went down like a cup of cold sick um, at, at, at the time. And then I um, yeah, had a full season that year at Essex where we had a really strong side um, and we won the Benson Hedges and, and you know, played a decent, decent part in that. Um, which was an amazing experience. I mean, I, I was I was nineteen playing the Lords Final in uh, back in those days when it, it genuinely was twenty seven thousand people. Yeah. You know, it was packed. Um, the only mistake I made after that Lords Final was letting Stewie Law talk me into smoking a cigar, and I lost <laughs> my voice for a week. <laughs> it was shocking. I must have taken about six layers of skin off my uh, tonsils and throat. I think. Uh, but yeah, that was so. That was that was a pretty good season. For, like, although I didn't score loads of runs, I was a regular inside. 
we'd won the Benson and Edges where I had played a part, you know, a, a significant part, particularly in the quarterfinal uh, against Middlesex. Um, and I felt part of the, the kind of the team. Um, I was batting middle order in four-day cricket, which I hated. Um, but that was kind of just the way it was back then. There was other good players and that was my only way into the side. So, but I used, I had a chronic um, phobia of waiting to go into bat. And, um, and, and hence, uh, you know, I've always done my best work opening the batting, really. You know, you get out there and get on with it. Um, suck it up. You're going to be facing the quickest bowler with the newest ball. But at least I'm not sat around waiting for you know, who knows what kind of thing. So, um, but I, but I lost my way at the end of that season really, because they, they, the England A side was selected and they were going to take a young side to Zimbabwe and South Africa. And myself, Keezy, Franksie, Swanee, we'd all been playing regular first class cricket for our counties and, and doing well enough to stay in the teams. Um, and, they all got picked on that tour and I didn't and I couldn't work out why I didn't. And, um, and to be honest, like nowadays there's so many support staff and psychologists and all that kind of stuff that you'd, you'd have people talking to you and helping you. And they, they talk to you about why you've not gone and why you didn't get picked in those days. It was, well, you either, your, your name was on the list or it wasn't. And nobody spoke to you about why you didn't get picked. And I felt a little bit hard done by, if I'm honest, and I didn't go on that trip. And, and I sulked, really. Uh, and then I made one of the worst decisions of my life and started painting and decorating with Bobby. Um, <laughs> which was an atrocious period, which we, we don't want to go into too much detail. because No, we do, we do. We, we <laughs> had some fun, <laughs> I think. We, we had some fun. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't you decide on that rather than going and playing abroad for a winter, Stephen? That didn't go down too well. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, you're right, Beast. That was the long and the short of it, really, is um, Essex wanted to me to go away and play abroad in Australia and New Zealand. And I was so miffed I didn't get picked on that, well, sulking, basically, um, that, that I just I, I thought, no, nah, stuff it. I'm not going to go. And it didn't go down very well. And... And I think back in the day, like, I might be speaking out of turn, but I think one of the people, Gucci was then coaching in and around the coaching setup, and And I don't think it went down very well with him, really. You know, he was, he was not that type of character, you know. Um, and and I, I think it did, it didn't go down well. It was probably a mistake, but yeah. we're bloody good laugh, Bob. <laughs> but, so what we're basically saying is that Bobby ruined your chance of playing a test career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's been put on me, isn't it? Properly. Come on, we want to hear, what are you about Bobby's painting and decorating now for two minutes, or, or what? What went on while you two were painting and decorating? Well, well, well our head office was the Essex Yeoman. <laughs> it was. Yeah. That was where the board meetings were. Yeah, the board meetings up in the corner by the window. Yeah, most evenings. And um, my, my nostrils have never been the same um, <laughs> because Bobby's just terrific, as most people know. Um, could clear a restaurant, you know, in two minutes. Um, the, uh, the, were they Greg's, Bob? Cheese and onion pasties? They were Greg's cheese and onion pasties. <laughs> Fatal. Fatal. 
Yeah. I mean, I've never known something repeat on someone so quickly. Awful. Um, but we, I, I had a, we had a great laugh, Bob, didn't we? Loved yeah. it. Um, in terms of my cricket, it didn't go down very well. But, no. you know, I had, a, I had a great winter. And um, I, I seem to remember we, we played a bit of football as well, didn't we? For the, yeah. for the, was, that, was that the winter for the Essex boys? Yeah, we did. Yeah, play, we played a game at Billericay, didn't we? I think we used That's to right. play play a game um, Essex used to play uh, Billericay Town or uh, All Star 11 or something and um, yeah, I, I do remember Paul Parker played didn't he and he, yeah. he forearm smashed me in the face <laughs> just as so I was about to tuck one away cleaned you up didn't he yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but the Essex well, side they had a good Gucci play didn't he PG yeah. Um, yeah. some good football players yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, that obviously set the tone for the rest of your career cleaning people up <laughs> Too long a chat with Paul Parker that night, and you thought, right, that's it. I've worked it out now, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, no, you know, all in all, um, that winter, pro you know, that that was a, a changing period for me, cricket-wise, and um, I then played the next season and struggled. Um, I don't recall it that well, but probably the next season or so, and, and really, I struggled for runs and I didn't enjoy batting in the middle order. And there was periods where I should have 100% been left out of the team. And it probably would have done me a favour, actually, um, to, to go back to the twos, get some runs. And, um, and then I really started falling out of love with the game. I know everyone says it, and it's a bit of a cliche, but I really did around that period. And hence me kind of moving away in the end. One of the other things that happened during that period was the kind of dressing room broke up a bit. Um, you know, we went from 98 winning the Benson Hedges when everything was pretty hunky-dory to, to a, few, a few issues in the dressing room, you know, a few fallouts, a few people moving on and, and, and things like that. And, um, you know, some of it wasn't great to be around. I was a little bit caught in the middle because I like to think I got on with everybody. Um, and, um, and, and so... I had the chance to move away and, and took it. Just one man I want to ask you something about, Steve, because that was back in the mid-90s. I used to go watch Essex every week with Dad before I started playing regularly. And, and you mentioned it briefly with the cigar incident there, but Stewie Law was probably, along with Mark War and Salim Malik, who, who Essex had in a few years before, but to, to watch yeah. them, and you were obviously in the same team as someone that good, one cap for Australia, but county record like um, just phenomenal looking player as well, if you know what I mean. And, and what, what was he like to play with and, and, and on and off the pitch? Brilliant. I, I really enjoyed playing with him. Yeah. Stewie was opinionated um, and he wasn't shy in coming forward with some harsh words for people, which didn't always go down well with people. In terms of his talent and ability, I think I've... I've said it a number of times, but, you know, if I look at the best players I've ever played with over a 20-year career, Stewie would be in the top three or four um, phenomenal player. He could thread the ball through the offside field like nobody else I ever played with. Um, you know, that, that would point to extra cover region, phenomenal stroke player through there. Um, you know, it's he, he just 
scored bucket loads of runs. I, I remember one game in particular, and actually shortly after he went to Lancashire, and there's no surprise, we played a, a four-day game and a day-night game at Old Trafford when they had Murrelithran. And uh, England had played an ODI game the night before our game. And we were then going to play the four-day game on used pitch. Surprise, surprise. Um, and Alan Mullally had bowled for England and left a big crater outside off stump for Murrithran. And uh, Stewie Law got 100 in each innings of the four-day game, I think, and 100 in the one-day. And it was, it was the best display of batting, you know, you'd likely to see. It was phenomenal. Um, and I think the blank checkbook came out from Lancashire after that game. Um, so he was a great player. He could bowl as well. He grabbed everything at slip. Um, but, it, you know, he frustrated a few guys because he loved going out and having a beer and having a great time. But he had the ability to turn up the next day with a hangover and get a few, you know, get 100. Um, whereas... are, you surprised, are you surprised with that, that he's got, he, like, forged a very successful career and good reputation coaching-wise? Yeah, I... I, I Probably back back then, I wouldn't necessarily have said that he he'd have gone into coaching, um, but clearly he's done, he's done really well at it and, and found himself some um, doing some high profile jobs. So um, you know he's um, he's certainly a good good character to be around. You know, like I can imagine from that, but you know where you stand with Stewie. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you know, if he's going to drop you out of the team, he's going to tell you why. And you're gonna, you know, you might not like it, but it's tough. Um, you know that that kind of character, which I, I think most people quite like that, don't they? They like to know where they stand. So um, yeah, I wouldn't have said back then he would have been a coach, but he's obviously done done really well. Yeah. So Essex obviously went, and uh, mm. and then Worcester came along. Why, why Worcester? How and why? How did that come about? And um, you obviously spent spent four years there. Yeah. I'm sure there were some, well, I, I know there, there were some characters down there as well. Um, and I, what was what the standout ones there? How, well, yeah. say, how did it come up in the first place? Well, Shuey Law, really, we, we were playing a, a game at Cardiff. It got rained out. He could see I was not enjoying my cricket. Um, I really needed to be left out of the team, to be honest. But, you, you know, you don't go up to the coach and tell them that. Um, and... Um, he called me over one, uh, lunchtime just after we'd been called off. And he said, oh, um, I've been speaking to Tom Moody. He sees you batting in the middle order. I've kind of told him that you're not really enjoying your cricket at the moment. And, and he wants to have a chat with you. And it went from there, really. I met Tom Moody a couple of weeks later on the M40 at services. And um, this is a true story. He, he uh, We had a good chat about cricket. And then... He said, we want to offer you a three-year deal on, on these terms. And uh, I got back in the car and Essex had offered me a one-year extension, but I knew I wanted to move on really because I needed a change scenery. And uh, I got in the car, picked up my phone, well, not picked it up, you know, hands-free. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it was hands-free. That was a big blocks. <laughs> and, uh, I rung, I rung my girlfriend at the time and said, uh, I'm moving to Worcester. I've just been offered double my money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and um, I had a great three and a half years there. 
before the last half of the last season turned a little bit sour. Great time. Really enjoyed living in Worcester. Good fun night out, as as most of us know, um, from various trips. Um, great place to play your cricket. Beautiful ground. Um, and I, it's interesting. So, surrounded by some top quality cricketers as well. Not that they weren't top quality at Essex. There was definitely a work ethic change. I went to, I went to New Zealand that winter and uh, drunk and ate my way around both islands, you know, having a great time as you do. And, um, and came back and we did a bleep test and I dropped out at like level 10, which was pretty average. Um, well, very average. And uh, I think the next person at Worcester dropped out at 13 and I was sorely embarrassed. And Tom Moody called me over, at, at, you know, after that training session, he said, look, he said, it's fine. It's not the end of the world. He said, but that's, that's not the standard here. That is not the way we work. He said, he said, you will not be available for selection until you reach 13 on the bleed test. And I had to train every morning for three weeks with a weighted vest on with this little, little bastard who was the fitness coach at the time, an <laughs> ex-military ex guy who basically ran me into the ground for three weeks until I got level 13 on the bleep test. I bet and level said and done, you know, there was, there was no coming back, you know, and, and it was, but it was a great message. And guys like Graham Hick, Ben Smith, Vikram Samanke, David Leatherdale, uh, Steve Rhodes, um, the work ethic of those guys transformed my cricket. My stats in my career were so much better the second half of my career than the first half. Yeah. And that started at Worcester, really. My work ethic changed completely. And I worked, I used to, you know, hit millions of balls with Ben Smith. Um, and, and that was the way it was there. You worked bloody hard. Still, still didn't uh, stop you going out, though, Geezer. No, quite right. Quite right. Great. Um, what, what a city that is, Worcester. Yeah, brilliant spot. Had some great, great fun there. Um, and you're right, it was work hard, play hard. Definitely. I, I mentioned that to Middle, actually, about I'm not no good at working stuff out, but I said your average is 34 and a bit, but... I'm, I reckon if you get rid of the Essex stuff, it's probably pushing 40, isn't it, Steve? Because I, you, you finished much better than you started, didn't you? Yeah, I think, um, I, think I did work that out once, and, you, and you're not far off. It's about 38, I think, 38 yeah. something um, for the last, I suppose, 150, 180 games. Um, and absolutely, I, you know, I always, I think at, at North Ants in the 10 years I was there, I think I probably six seasons where I averaged 40 and above opening. And for me, you know, that was the real benchmark for me. As an opener, if I could average 37 to 42, something like, you know, opening yeah. the batting, where, you know, you're obviously going to get nicked off occasionally for bugger all. Um, then, you know, it was, a, it was a much more successful time. And you're right, you know, I sometimes look back at the Essex days and think, oh, I wish I could scrap a few games off there. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's the way it goes, isn't it? And, but during that Worcester period, I learned 
what I learned there working with those other guys was a work ethic and b i I found a method that worked more often than not um, and and that stuck with me really through the second half of my playing days. You mentioned Graham Hick there, Steve, and we, we spoke about, you mentioned Gucci earlier, he's obviously mm. priced around these parts, no bigger legend uh, or hero to most people in cricket round here, and, and then Stewie Law, who, who was a hero at Essex for a few years, how, how does Graham Hick rate against him, and how was he perceived by the, the locals and the members at a county like Worcester as well, having been there all that time? Yeah, exactly the same as Gucci, godlike figure at Worcester, um, you know, phenomenal player. Oh, you know, staggering ability. His work ethic was unbelievable. Um, no one ran further, trained harder, benched more, you know, hit more balls than him. Um, took a while to get to know Hickey, but once you got to know him, super, super guy. Um, real big, gentle giant. Um, oh, hold on, my... Uh, Screen's going. And yeah, he was, a, uh, I, uh, you know, my last uh, three years at Worcester had some great, great times with Hickey. I mean, his ability as a player, you know, again, absolutely phenomenal. Um, it, the thing, it was quite embarrassing, really, at times. I, I spent, I had a period where I opened the batting with a guy called Anurag Singh, who, um, he moved from Warwickshire to Worcester, and uh, uh, I absolutely loved opening the batting with Raggy. We had a right time, good laugh. Um, but you could hear people getting restless in the crowd if we were forty for none. Because <laughs> they'd, they'd come and watch it, and uh, it was almost like they were willing you out. <laughs> it's like you know, and it, and if one of us got out, you could almost hear that, you know. Not people cheering, but there was kind of a buzz around the place. Oh, thank God for that. Um, but then on the flip side, if Hickey got out early, which was rare, the ground would empty. Uh, <laughs> you know, they certainly didn't want to watch me scratching around for, for 30. Um, but you could be... He, he was brilliant. Loved playing with Hickey. The only problem with playing with Hickey was he could make you feel very inferior very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, for example, you could have batted for an hour and worked your knackers off and you're, you're 20 not out. And he'd come in and hit three boundaries in his first six balls. And you'd think, <laughs> oh, like, Christ, you know, everyone must think I'm a muppet. Um, but, it, yeah, great, great player. Phenomenal. Um, every time you thought, I think it might have been with you, Bob, actually. We were having a chat one day, and there was, I think it was my third season. Hickey actually had a really poor start to the season. And we played Durham in a game the next week. I think we were chatting on the phone one day, and you said something like, Oh, God, you know, Hickey, he's not got many so far this year. And, and I think I said to you, I said, Oh, someone's going to pay big time. That's right. I remember this. Yeah. <laughs> he got 300 in the next game. <laughs> and and um, I remember it well because. He never did this. He was not this type of character at all. But he was about 120 not out overnight. And I sat next to him in the dressing room. And, and he said, mm, I'm going to try and get 300 tomorrow. <laughs> and, and, you know, like he never said anything like that n normally. But Christ, yeah, he, 
he went and did it. David Capel, God rest his soul, said that to me once when we played at Colwyn Bay. I was fortnight out at lunch and he said, oh, you could get 300 here. <laughs> Would you get 42? All down the leg side. <laughs> it's funny. Was it, you say he was a quiet character, Steve, because he was on that, I watched that, the test documentary and he's the Aussie batting coach, isn't he? And he don't, have, he don't say one word the whole series. Not one word. <laughs> Very quiet guy. Really unassuming. And I think, and you'd have to ask him, you know, everyone talks about ramps and um, hickey around why they didn't tear up test cricket. I, I don't know the answer to that. The only thing I could surmise is perhaps that knowing knowing his character, as, as I do to a certain degree, that he didn't particularly enjoy the pressure or the limelight, you know. I, I don't know if that was the case or not, but um, he certainly came under... a hell of a lot of scrutiny didn't he um at that level and um you know all, all i know is the player i played with at worcester and he was phenomenal yeah run machine so 2005 steve that's the year you leave worcester it's yeah. also the year you do a bit of 12th man duty for england yeah it could have been you and not gary pratt that everyone talks about <laughs> <laughs> what was that experience like it was great. It, it was nerve-wracking. I, I did 12, I've done 12th man two or three times. Once against the West Indies, and I found myself backward points, Brian Lara at Old Trafford. Uh, and uh, that backlift is intimidating. Um, but luckily, luckily, it didn't last long that day, I think. But, um, yeah, it's funny uh, to season that, actually, because I've not done that well. The f uh, I've not scored many runs first half of the season. Got left out. Tom Moody moved on as coach. Steve Rhodes came in as coach. Uh, and I think it's fair to say Steve Rhodes and I did play together and we, we enjoyed playing together, but coach and player, we didn't really get off. Uh, that was where things, you know, kind of exited out the door um, at Worcester. But during that time, as you say, I, I can't, they basically used to go to. I think it was whichever county didn't have a county game that week, they would say, well, can we have two of the best fielders, uh, which, which, which I kind of was at the time. And, um, yeah, up to Old Trafford. I mean, it was phenomenal. But the last day in particular, trying to get into the ground was ridiculous. It was that day where they locked like... 20, yeah, 20,000 people out. Yeah. It was, it was phenomenal. You, I remember... We were all late to the ground, couldn't get in. Um, then it was a pretty short warm-up because um, we were just in the field. So they're kind of, you know, not much batting going. Um, and uh, actually, loads of us stood at the back of the dressing room, staring out the window, going, oh, my God, look how many people there are out there. I was quite fortunate, actually, because... Quite a few of that, you know, Fred was in that side, Steve Harmison, Simon Jones, these are guys I've played against for years and grown up playing against. So it's quite a nice environment for me to come into. Um, but on that last day, I fielded about 25 overs at the day. Yeah. Simon Jones was going on and off having injections uh, <laughs> in his ankle or knee or something. And um, so I ended up fielding loads of overs. I very, I very nearly made a massive 
Uh, yeah, thanks for bringing out the run out. I missed my bee's dick. Uh, <laughs> but um, I very nearly made a catastrophic cock up that day. <laughs> Nobody knows this. So, Red Bull drink at the time, wasn't it? So, they must have been sponsored by Red Bull or something because I had a specific Red Bull carry thing and a, and a drink and a water carry thing. Bloody heavy. And uh, so I'm running out every wicket or whatever, taking it out. And one of the cans of Red Bull, as I cross over the pitch, it falls out the holster and burst <laughs> right on the edge of the wicket. I mean, literally. <laughs> A, a second earlier, and it would have dropped on a length and been chucking. <laughs> match, match syrup, syrup on a length. Is <laughs> that a shocker? Um, and uh, God, I'd have been, that would have been highly embarrassing. But um, I just remember fielding the last six or seven overs, I was fielding at fourth slip, I think, next to Ian Bell and one or two others. And and you could not hear whether they'd nicked it when it was going past the bat because the crowd was that loud. Yeah. And uh, I, I think it, it was Ian Bell, I think, turned around to me and said, Jesus Christ, I hope he doesn't nick it to me. <laughs> uh, and, and let me tell you, I was thinking exactly the same bloody thing. Um, but it was, it was great to be involved. And then at the end, when we didn't get the wicket, um, Vaughan called everyone in. A lot of people said, oh, what, did he, what, did he, what was he say in that huddle? What, what he did was, Australia was celebrating on the balcony and he just got everybody together and he said, have a look at their balcony celebrating a draw. He said that would never have happened in previous years. Yeah. And he, he said, we've got this lot by the bollocks. Mm. And, um, and, he, and he was right, obviously. And the rest, uh, rest is history. But and, used, and to Gary good, Pratt, used to get good cash expenses for those. <laughs> what, what, what about Gary Pratt though on the uh, on the bus, Pedro? Having uh... <laughs> I can I can promise you. you now. I can promise you now. I would not have been on that bus. <laughs> I'd, have been, I'd have been at the club dancing on the table. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that season, strangely enough, started two thousand and six with a new challenge. Uh, at Northampton, again, how does that come about? Obviously, cricket's a little bit different to football in the transfer world. So you mentioned how you went from uh, Essex to Worcester. How, how did it then come about to move on to Northampton? Yeah, I'm trying to think back now, really. I, um, I was disgruntled, really. I, I'd had three and a half really enjoyable years at Worcester. And um, there was a young punk called Steve Davies playing in the second team. And... Um, uh, Steve Rhodes had obviously worked quite a lot with him because of his, you know, he's a keeper and what have you. And Rhodes, he was desperate to get him in the team, and I, and I was the one that effectively got left out for for uh, Davo. And um, obviously, we all know he's gone on to be a fabulous cricketer. But at the time, I was a bit miffed. And um, I actually had a year left on my contract at Worcester, but I didn't. I thought I I got a distinct impression from from Rhodesy. And if I saw Steve Rhodes now, we'd, we'd get on great and have a beer, no problem. Um, you know, don't, don't look back with any animosity on anything. But um, he obviously had a vision to bring Davo into the team and one or two others, and I didn't fall into his plans. So um, I kind of remember having a frank conversation with him saying, look, are you going to play me next year or not? And he kind of said, well, 
not really. So, um, so, and I'd already had a sniff from Kepler Vessels at Northants about coming and playing there. So that's how that all unfolded, really. Um, and as it turned out, again, I didn't regret leaving Essex. Had four great years at Worcester, and I certainly didn't. You know, at the time, I was gutted to leave Worcester. Um, I've be, you know become great mates with Gareth Batty. We'd lived together for. Uh, four years and um, I'd really enjoyed living in Worcester so I was a bit torn leaving there but in terms of my cricket it was it was the right decision and never looked back and actually North Ants very very quickly became my you know corny spiritual home but I ne I've never felt more at home playing anywhere than I did here and hence you know playing the, the best cricket I've played throughout my career here and, and spending the longest period um, here playing and, and now home for me. So, 2013, Steve, is, is a benefit year for you. Probably yeah. one, one of your proudest years. Mm. And pro probably followed by a couple of the most difficult years. Uh, how did that period go? Yeah, it was. It was it was um interesting couple of couple of years, as you say. I think, um, you know, I'd become a good good permanent fixture, really, in, in at North Ants. You know, I'd like to think, First name on the team sheet, you know, if you're, if you're a decent opener, you're normally first name on the team sheet in most sides. And, um, you know, I'd certainly become that. I'd become captain, which I always wanted to do. Um, I always led right teams right from those under-13 days at Gideon Park. I've always enjoyed doing that. Um, and um, I'd had some good seasons, back-to-back seasons uh, at North Ants. Um, probably the closest I ever came to kind of getting an England call up really during just before that period might have been 2010 at the end of that season and they asked me to go and play in Australia when England were down there or was it that year or another one and basically if somebody got injured then I was the next cab off the rank to come into the squad but typically bloody Cook, Strauss all those blokes never got bloody injured <laughs> uh, but um, yeah so good, good time leading up to that period 2013 was a great year um, I actually nastily the season started fantastically we had a really good um, setup. so Alex Wakeley did the one day captaincy which was perfect for him and I did the four day captaincy and Dave Ripley was coach, it worked really well we had a, we had a good team but our four day team needed discipline quite frankly um, and, I, and I was the grumpy sod that brought that to our four day team um, and Alex was a good young one-day player in particular and had fresh ideas and things and, and captain the one-day side so brilliantly. So um, it worked really well and we had a fantastically successful season. I actually nastily really had a really bad finger break after about eight games. We were top of the league. I was averaging 50. Everything was going swimmingly. My, my benefit year was in full flow. I was, you know, everything was going well. And then I, uh, Dave Ripley threw me a... 65 mile an hour throw down in the nets and it and it hit me on the end of the finger and I've got I mean I've now got screws and plates in that finger and um crikey the lads still wind me up today about how it could have broke my finger when it was that slow <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's how bad my fingers were um but I managed to get back playing we won the t20 which was in at the time for us and I say us I didn't play 
play a part in it, as you well know, you cheeky sods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you play part in the celebration across Northampton yeah. Town. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Ball, yeah. Ball John <laughs> Terry. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Um, yeah, and I do remember, uh, I did actually get the ball in the boot. At the football. <laughs> it, it bounced back out, you know, definitely. Um, but, um, yeah, it was a great time for the club because, you know, we were hugely unfancied in that competition. Win that was a massive coup. And then you know, my biggest worry after we won that was actually, uh, we won that on the Saturday night. We then were obviously all hung over to bits all day on the Sunday. And then we had to travel down to Colchester to play Essex on the Monday morning. And I think the lads were still hung over <laughs> Monday morning. And then the pressure was on me to win the toss, which I did, luckily. We batted first. And James Middlebrook and I opened the batting. And as we were walking out, we said to each other, we've got to get some runs here because the lads are in no today. <laughs> and, and unbelievably, we put on 200 for the first wicket. <laughs> And the lads couldn't have loved us anymore. But we, we, then, we then managed to play good enough cricket for the rest of the season to, to get promoted. And um, it was great times. Um, the biggest faux pas we made, Beast, at the end of that season was I remember sat having a conversation with the club saying we need to reinforce and sign some players to bolster what we've got. Uh, uh, we, we didn't do that. We also then had multiple nightmares with overseas players. Then Dave Willie got injured, um, and we ended up we ended up a far weaker side in Div One than we were in the year before in Div Two, yeah. and, and we got panned. Yeah, we got panned. It was awful. Who did you have overseas that year, Steve? Who, who did you? Well, we we couldn't we couldn't get Trent Copeland back because he didn't qualify because they changed right. the. Right. Yeah, I we signed uh, what's the Aussie Seema Bird. Yeah, Jackson, yeah, Jackson Bird. Bird. Yeah, Bird. Jackson Bird. We signed him, but you know, on the back of Trent Copeland trying to get someone similar, yeah, um, and that fell through right at the last minute. Mm. Then we tried to get somebody else. I can't remember who that was, and that fell through. We had no overseas player for the first half of the season. Yeah, um, and then, in fact, the first twelve games of the season. Our first overseas player in Red Bull cricket that year was um, uh, Wagner, or Wagner, the keyword, <laughs> um, for the last four or five games of the season. And it was pointless, really. Yeah. I felt sorry for him because he turned up and bowled his absolute conkers off, uh, as he always does for New Zealand, and a great guy. And he got really frustrated with the team because everybody was so deflated and he wasn't that type of character. Yeah. So I don't I don't think he enjoyed it, bless him. But um, it was just a disastrous season all round, really. I remember we lost our seventh game on the trot at Old Trafford after they'd got 600 um, first innings and then we followed on. Um, and I sat and asked Dave Ripley after eight games, I said, look, should I be standing down as captain? I said, I, I still feel like I'm the best person in our current dressing room to lead this team. I said... And he, he said to me, no, you're absolutely the right person to carry on. We'll review it at the end of the season, you know, if, if you feel differently. Um, so, so I said to him, well, you know, I think I'm the right bloke to keep doing it. I'll stick with it to the end of the season, then we'll readdress it. And um, lo and behold, about two, three games later, 
I got called in by the chief exec and stripped to the captaincy and also told that um, regardless of how many runs I got the next season, it was going to be my last year at the club. So, um, you know, from the highs of 13 to the lows of the back end of 14 were quite, quite um, different, really. Different... Uh, What's that without... <laughs> wouldn't want to upset you in any way. What's that feel like, Steve? Because he's, he's a professional sport looks great to people like me and Beast and Bobby, even though we know you, obviously. So I know you've spoken to us about it before, but professional sport, especially county cricket in this country, is probably a little bit brutal, in, or very brutal in many ways, how these things come about. And, and it's not all glamorous and it's a lot of travelling and you, it's hard yards and then something like that happens at the end of it. Yeah, and, and look, I think um, without over-dramatising it, you know, it, you, it is, it's quite a tough existence. Well, it's probably a lot tougher existence than people think it might be anyway. And, um, you know, I, I've, seen, I've seen 30-year-old blokes sat in the corner of dressing rooms crying after they've got their fourth naught, their contract's up at the end of the season. Yeah. They've got a wife and kids to support and... You know, the career's going down the pan. You know, it, you, you see a lot of that and it's not very pleasant. From my, from my perspective, the, not, the way um, that all unfolded at the end of 14, um, I won't go into too many details because it, it did get, with, with one particular person, the chief executive, it got a little bit unpleasant. Um, but ultimately, I had not been playing T20 cricket I'd been in and out the one-day team. You know, we'd just got smashed all season in the Red Bull in Div 1. Um, they were obviously starting to... I was 34. They were starting to look for some younger players. Um, and, you know, I was probably one of the better earners. And they were looking at me thinking, well... You know, if we want to get a couple of younger players in, do we need to shift a couple on kind of thing? And um, so I'm actually reasonably... Um, I, did I think it was the right decision for me to lose the captaincy in Red Bull cricket? Absolutely not. I should definitely have carried on captain in that side. Um, and Wakers should have definitely carried on captain in the white ball team. It was working well. We just weren't a good enough team to compete collectively in Div 1 and we were a worse side than we were in Div 2 yeah. um, so so I was pissed off about losing the captaincy absolutely um, was I more miffed about the fact that the chief exec was telling me that my number was up regardless of how many runs I got the next year yeah that was that was pretty damning at the time I didn't I didn't feel that was necessary um as I subsequently found out, the long and the short of that is, is that they'd promised they'd signed a couple of younger players and they didn't have the money to pay for them. So yeah. they needed to shift me on, basically. And they were trying to encourage me to look for another club um, to get me off the wage bill. Um, you know, no, no hard feelings about that. And, and I, as it turned out, basically, I came home and just decided after a few days that um, I was going to be 35 the next year anyway I was, I was I had an opportunity probably to take a job at Aon in insurance um, and that I'd just see out the last year of my contract at North Ants regardless and then retire um, that's when things got a bit sticky with the chief executive because um, 
he he wanted me to move on let's put it that way um but it was my choice my contract and i decided to do it my way and i'm i'm glad i did because i i retired as as well on my own terms as you could ever do i think um uh i retired on good terms with everybody at the club still still pop up there regularly and see everybody and, and have good times up there um you know, for me, there would have been nothing worse than finishing bitter and twisted. Um, there's no merit in that. And actually, I know many players who have um, finished their careers like that, and it doesn't help them post-career. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and I certainly didn't want that. So, um, so yes, there's a few sticky months there that, that, that were a bit testing, but all in all, no complaints, really. Once you're not playing all three forms of cricket nowadays um, in county cricket, or at least two out of three regularly, then then you're on the you're on the chopping block. Yeah, and just just again referring refer to some legends at other clubs, Hick and Gooch. Just uh, I know you didn't play with him, and and someone who a lot of the younger guys at our club probably wouldn't have even heard of, but. Who, uh, England international and, and gave his whole career to uh, Northamptonshire, who mm. sadly passed uh, a couple of weeks back. Uh, David Capel, I remember him watching him playing for England and, and against Essex for Northampton many times growing up, a, a seriously good all-rounder, but also a very loyal man to yeah. uh, the same as Gooch and Hick at their counties. Capel gave his whole uh, career to Northampton. What, what were your memories of him around the club? Yeah, look, I Terribly sad, you know. Fifty-seven is is no age, and um, uh, a pretty pretty torrid um, uh, time for his family and things like that. His funeral's next week, uh, actually. So I think um, you know many of us are going to try and uh, not not necessarily go to the funeral, but um, there's a there's kind of going to be a bit of a guard of honour for him, uh, kind of thing. And you're right, you know, one one man club gave everything to the club. It's interesting because, you know, I, I can't talk about Capes without being really honest about some stuff because um, phenomenal cricketer, incredible competitor, um, you know, and the um, kind of bloke you'd want in your team, 100%, uh, a winner. Um, as a coach, interesting at times. Uh, we had some interesting times. Let's, it, I, I can't possibly sit here and say that Capes and I didn't disagree on occasions because we absolutely did. Um, and we, and we clashed at times, but we always had a real mutual respect for each other, uh, and a healthy respect for each other. And, um, he, um, was involved in many of my favorite moments, um, at North Ants, um, both as, you know, before he was first team coach, um, you know, one of the best periods for him actually was when he was kind of interim first team coach, um, and uh, we we had a really good run of of wins, and he was in charge, and it was all great fun, and uh, it, it was good times. He, Capes's one of Capes's challenges as a coach was he just had his heart on his sleeve so much <laughs> that it was a bit high and low at times, rather than that kind of perhaps level headed. Yeah, yeah. um, character that you, you need but you could never fault his desire to win and he always wanted the best for you um and he and he genuinely did and um 
you know, he always looked after me contractually as well through my career. Um, so it's, it's terribly sad. Yeah, terribly sad. Well, you mentioned your career, Pedro, you know, over 20 years as a pro. Um, and like the Eastern Middle and, and many of your friends at Upminster, they're good friends. We, we followed it through um, and watched wherever you've been playing and text and phoned when you've done well. And, yeah. You know, but uh, you've played with hundreds, if not thousands of players uh, over the time. Who were the best? Who were the characters? Uh, who, 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 was, who had the most fun? Yeah, uh, well, the, you know, I'd say one of the beauties of playing county cricket, particularly, I, you know, maybe not quite so much over the last few years, but certainly the first two thirds of my career, one of the beauties was you played against all the best players in the world. They were always overseas players. So, you know, Murrilithran, Shane Wong, Glenn McGrath, Brett Lee, oh, Wazim Akram, um, Crikey, you name it, I was lucky enough or unlucky enough to play against some of them. <laughs> um, so from that perspective, it was phenomenal. And, not, and I love being able to think back and think, oh, actually, yeah, I, I did play a horrendously cheeky reverse sweep off Shane Warner Essex. <laughs> and, it, and it did remarkably go for four. <laughs> and he looked at me as if to say, you cheeky little prick. <laughs> that was like, you, you know, like one of the luckiest shots you've ever played. And he'd be 100% right. And, <laughs> and I did run down the wicket to Muralithran in a one-day game. And he totally did me in the air. I was absolutely nowhere near it. And I just thought, well, I'm shit or bust here. And I did it. <laughs> And I did it for six. <laughs> and he had no idea how unlucky he was. <laughs> um, so, so from that perspective, brilliant. I love thinking back to those times. Um, played with hundreds of top blokes. Um, you know, uh, probably, you know, at the end of your career, you've probably got a core dozen that you'll remain in contact with for the rest of your days, you know. But, but generally many many good blokes some of the characters if i think back to the start at essex people like mark Eilot were hilarious <laughs> yeah, he'd, he'd be shitting himself waiting to go into bat you know and it, he'd be batting number eight and two wickets would go down and he'd be sat there going uh three four five uh shit when do i, when do I need to <laughs> <laughs> um panicking um and um the silly thing was he could bloody bat as well um and uh, so he, guys like him were, were great fun. Um, Worcester, it was probably kind of, um, well, we did do a fair bit of partying, but that was mostly me and Gareth, uh, really, <laughs> our time out and about. Uh, and Bats has become a, a best mate, and um, we, we've had many good times together. And um, North Ants, I think one of the beauties of North Ants is, you know, I, I never thought I'd leave Essex. I've now been living in Northampton Shire for 15 years. It's home for me. Um, and one of the best bits is that out of my favourite period of playing at Northants, around that 12, 13, 10, 11, 12, 13 period, most of the guys have settled here and stayed here. So Niall O'Brien, Lee Daggett, David Wigley, uh, Rob White, all these kind of guys... And we see each other all the time socially. Um, 
and therefore we reminisce all the time about stuff, which is great fun. Um, so, so you know, it's been great. I wouldn't have changed it for the world. Um, you, you mentioned it, Bob, about, you know, and it sounds corny, but it wouldn't be right if I didn't mention it. You know, I love coming back to Upminster. I came over a few few weeks ago, probably six weeks ago now. Yeah, we had a couple, didn't we? Yeah, I loved coming over and having a couple of beers again. You know, it's always it's always a special place for me to come back to, and I and I love it. And over over my twenty year playing career, the support I had from people like you guys on the on the thing to not podcast tonight and just people from the club in general you know the texts and the phone calls when i got runs or you know or when people could see i'd had a couple of noughts on the trot or something like that it doesn't go unnoticed and it and it plays a massive part in um in keeping you going really i remember i think it was that under 19 world cup they showed it on the telly didn't they i think and um, yeah and i think quite a few people went round I don't know. Was it was it Cobbs and Robbo and Cobbs's house or something and watched it? Or it was on Sky. Did. Not many people would have had it. So Robbo and Cobbs probably had Sky. You see, so everyone yeah. went around there. Yeah, yeah. So you know, and I knew people were watching back home. So it does make a difference that support. And um, you know, I've always been always been uh, very grateful for it. So good times. Not, yeah. Not, don't, yeah. Let's, Let's, let's not get on to how I've ended up in insurance because that'll just be terribly boring. I send but, everyone to sleep, Steve, to finish. Yeah, but, 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 but you say you knew home Northampton. Obviously, Essex are going through an absolute purple patch, especially in the Red Bull game at the moment. Um, Unbelievable. So, uh, you know, what do you make of that then? That's, uh, yeah, you're I, I, an Essex boy at heart. Yeah, I love seeing them. Love seeing them do well. Um, I used to cry, I used to desperately want to go back and score runs there, mind you. Um, and uh, actually went back and did all right on a few occasions. I, I probably did all right, but um, uh, yeah, no, really pleased they're doing well. Um, it's, it's interesting because they're doing really well, and they've obviously got a lot of good, talented cricketers. Um, and I've been out the game a few years now. So probably, you know, I don't know many of them. But no, they, from afar, they don't look like a standout, loads of standout individuals. Yeah. They just look a really good, obviously they've got some good individuals, but they just look a really good collective unit, don't they, in, in, in yeah. Red Bull? They've found some good seamers over the last couple of years and, and Harm has been a revelation, hasn't he, with, with the ball as well. So, um, and then you've still got a couple of the old guard um, hanging in there, you know, Ravi and, and Chopra and these kind of guys are still still getting a few runs. So, yeah, they, they've got something right there, haven't they? And uh, is Graham Welsh coach there? Is he? Uh, uh, Anthony McGrath. Anthony McGrath. McGrath, that's it. McGrath, he, oh, he's continued the Yorkshire theme from uh, yeah. Silverwood when he moved on and then McGrath has come in, so. And Ravi's right. left as well, mate. Oh, yeah, Ravi's in Sussex. <laughs> Where's he <laughs> Anyone who think you didn't that's follow it. it these days, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Essex boy, in my ass. He's <laughs> <laughs> about 38. When did he go there? Last season? Yeah, last season. Yeah, he's just got a white ball contract this year. He's yeah, he's only playing well, around days. Yeah, there you go then. I didn't even know he'd gone because there's been no bloody cricket. So, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's my excuse. Steve, one Sorry, mate. One other thing. Who was the who was the wicket 
Oh, some poor bloke at Oxford Uni, I think. Oh, we had a problem with him. <laughs> Leg spin. Leg spin. I, I bowled him the, the Zooter. He'll be done. Yeah, he, uh... he doesn't know how unlucky he was. Shocking <laughs> <laughs> bowler. Steve, it's been, uh, it's been great to chat. Uh, as we've all said, I think you had an amazing career, despite the stick we gave you. When you were back, winding you up and things. When I look at your stats, uh, and I think when everyone at to looks at your stats, they're incredibly uh, proud that you're a friend of the club. Uh, it's always great when you come back. I wish we saw you more over the club for beer as we did the other week. Uh, yeah. And and you're always welcome, Hartminster. Uh, your uh, your picture from your benefit year is proudly above the bar uh, in the right yeah. place. So we, we we see you there uh, whenever we're down there and. and and as I say, once all this is over with lockdown and everything, it'd be great to see you back over there when, you, when you're down. So thank you for sharing your memories this evening with us. I think that's been one of the best ones we've done, I have to say. Uh, all the characters and all the people you've played with in a 20-year uh, career, I think it will be uh, it will go down very well with members. So thank you for your time this evening, mate. It's been really good. No, I appreciate that, chaps. And a pleasure, pleasure to catch up as well. And, um, you know, I uh, it's great. I love... I love coming back to the club. As you say, I wish I got back more. And um, that's what having young kids does for you. But, um, <laughs> but it's great. I, I've loved seeing and hearing how much the club is thri thriving over the last five, ten years. So uh, keep up the good work. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening uh, to the Upminster CC podcast, uh, The Win Will End. Um, hopefully, we'll see you at the clubhouse this Saturday. Ben Stokes' old club, isn't it? Cockermouth Cricket Club.